Welcome. No music to lead us in this time. I just wanted you to know that you're at Adventure Super Train. I'm your host, Dan. This is episode 105, and you're welcome. Sit down, relax, and listen. This is short-lived TV show podcast. We're discussing shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will. We will cover Super Train. In this one, we are beginning with my good friend Amy the Conqueror and myself discussing episode 3 of the live-action Planet of the Apes. Then Mitchell the Had, Hadley, discussing episode 6 of Search. And then, you know her as Madeline, and so do I, and myself discussing episode 4 of The Singing Detective. But first, let's go ape. Amy, where are you? She's here. Don't worry. Listen to this. We're on the other side. Planet of the Apes, Episode 3, The Trap. Originally aired September 27th, 1974. Directed by Arnold Lavin. Written by Edward J. Lasko. And in this one, the guys and Galen make it to a city, bombed out sort of city in San Francisco uh, area. Uh, Burke is gets in a fight with, is it uh, Gorilla, Urko, and there's a bit of an earthquake and they fall through the ground into an old um, uh, subway station, BART subway station. And while uh, the other guy and Galen try to get them out of there, uh, because things aren't very safe down there, uh, Burke uh, and Urko begin to, um, uh, well, they argue a lot, and Urko yells at Burke a lot, and but they also begin to see a lot of the like um, posters and things and a lot of paraphernalia left over within the subway station showing sort of humans long before the apes took over. And so as they're down there sort of trying to get out before they get completely buried alive, um, they sort of, we see some things here and there which we'll talk about um, that are, that Urko didn't always know about what was going on and some things he did sort of know. And meanwhile, the the guys, Galen and the other guy are up on, uh, up trying to uh, uh, pull them up there, but they get involved with some apes too, and so they all try to chip in together and get them up there before bed. Ah, you know what happens? It's it's trying to save trying to save Birkenurko from this Birkenurko, from this space. Uh, Amy on on the other side of this. So if you would just wait for a little burst of music, we'll start talking. The trap, episode three of Planet of the Apes. And I am here with my good friend, Amy the Conqueror, to talk all over this episode. Amy, how are you? Hey, Dan. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, I'm hoping so far, I think, I think we've enjoyed the first two weeks as, uh, you know, of our Planet of the Apes journey. Will we yes. enjoy this one? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, what did you think of The Trap? 
It's funny you should say that. I did not enjoy this one as much as the last one. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, please, please. Oh, uh, this was still a fun episode. I mean, it's it's still you know, I'm still enjoying the show, but it got a little repetitive with the um. This one was more focused on the the gorillas and they're just you know they're militant and all humans are liars. Everything you're lying, you're a liar. Like that got very repetitive. <laughs> For me, it was like, okay, we get it. You think humans are liars. We, yeah. we get it. Um, so, But I did like that they tried to establish a little more trust between humans and apes in a, in a way. They had to work together um, to get uh, – is it Orlock? I can't remember his name. The, the, main, s- yeah. the main gorilla. Yeah, I'm sorry. His name has just escaped me. It, but it's you know, something like that. Yeah, I, I may be able to yell out a name in a minute. Yeah, or I, maybe, or maybe I won't be able to. Or maybe I can't. Zako? Or like, no. Or like, I feel or like, like it's something. But then yeah. that reminds me of Lord of the Rings, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I should have written it down. Why did I write yeah. it down? You would think I did too, because I, you know, took some notes on this episode and. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, this episode was. It wasn't as good for me as um, Gladiators was. I thought Gladiators was, you know, a little more action-packed, a little more fun. Um, this one, like I said, it did like how they tried to make the, the humans and the apes have to cooperate to, you know, for a common goal to save um, Peter and let's call him Morlock because I can't remember his name. Urko. Was it Urko? Urko. Urko. That sounds right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So sorry. Um, so, yeah. Um it was okay. It wasn't okay. my favorite of the three. That's all yes. I'm gonna say. I think I, I like I like the concept behind it. That sort of sort of the main a large portion of it is is Urko and Peter, right? I'm always I just still have their last names right now. They fall in a subway tunnel in San Francisco. And they kind of, they're uh, sort of exploring the tunnel and looking at all the posters on the wall and everything like that. And Urko just won't, just won't buy any of it. He won't believe any of it. And um, I, I like, I like the concept of sort of just them falling into this place where this gorilla who spent his whole life thinking humans are liars and killing all the humans that are strangers, just seeing all this stuff and having like his mind kind of blown to the point where he can't. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it does go on a bit too much, I think, um, because there is a point, you know, where, where, where um, you know, the, our astronaut friend is like, well, look at this, look at this, and look at this poster about, um, what was it, um, food pills, and disposable clothing, and medicine, and all this stuff, and all this stuff, humans did all this, did all this stuff, and, I mean, I guess it's sort of... Um, what is it? Cognitive dissonance might be occurring big time in our gorilla friend, where he's just he 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 was in the in the ruins of a city, which to him they're these normal things that don't have really anything to do with him. They they live in other places, but sometimes stuff happens here, and he falls in the subway where suddenly everything he's he's believed all his life is kind of like what? Wait, humans did what? Wait, what? What's happening? And then of course there's the poster with the you know the um gorilla in the cage at the zoo um which which are uh, you know uh, peter t- tries not to show um urko um but it's 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 a weird ep- 
episode because um I I actually kind of wished it had done what the previous episode did and maybe given us like 10 or 15 minutes in the beginning with the guys and Galen mm -hmm. and then gradually segued into the story because I don't think there's enough story I think it, it I, I think they like you said they, they beat that humans are liars we don't over and over and over yes. again to the point where you know it's it's, it's like with comedy you can have Sideshow Bob step on a rake 20 <laughs> times, and it goes from being funny to being monotonous to being hilariously funny again. Right. But with drama, there hits a point when it becomes almost comedic, yeah. when you just have too many moments where people are saying, like, to, to me, it's it's kind of like they oversell that point. And you, and you know, too, like, 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 if it is the cognitive dissonance, it's not like it's their minds just saying, like, you know, I don't care what the humans just did. They're liars. And you know that. You can see that. But there also comes a point where it's like, okay, we got we to gotta, we gotta find a way around, around this. We, we can't have them keep doing this. This is, this is getting tricky. And it's, it's, it's weird because at, at sort of the, the heart of it, I like taking like one of our astronauts alongside this really militant gorilla and, and and there you go. I just I think I just the, there's a little metaphor there. Gorilla, militant gorilla. Get it? Fo yeah. uh, go away. Um, um, uh, but um, I I think there I I I like the basis of the episode quite a bit. I just think it isn't written by the guy who wrote the first two. Right. I think that's pretty obvious. Yes. Yes. It it feels it it feels like it's in the same space. But I really wish that guy had come back and written this because I think he was on a roll. And this this feels, it's. I, I will I will say this, my my biggest thing behind the episode is that even though I was mostly enjoying it, um, when they start the rescue mission to get the guys out of the subway tunnel, I fell asleep. <laughs> the first Not time I watched. <laughs> not, not, so the second time I watched it, I made it through to the end. But um, but it's 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 um. It's tricky. I mean, and, and I could see, too, that, that what they're doing, if they're trying to sort of create, go for some sort of long game with this, you know, you have something like, like, like who knows, like, if, if the show got on for like three seasons, maybe there would have been a point where they were like in some big control center or something crazy was going on. And then they suddenly find themselves freed from somewhere. And maybe it's Urko, you know, who they haven't seen since this episode, who was like, oh, I remember him. He, he showed me some things that, that kind of turned my mind around. I'll help you know maybe something like that in the future maybe and I I know that's not really the way to watch these shows to pretend like something that didn't happen in the future that didn't happen would <laughs> happen that's a, but but it's it's funny I I um it's it's an episode where in theory it does a lot of stuff I like it does a little bit of disastery rescue stuff um there is some action but but it's just it's just a little off. Something about it is off. The script is maybe not developed as much as it should be. It's 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 the direction isn't quite as interesting as it should be. Something's a little off with it. I feel like everything in this episode is a little heavy-handed as far as, you know, like I said the liars, the lying, they just keep repeating that and they're yes. both in the subway trapped with Peter and Urko. You know, above trying to rescue them is Alan and um Galen and other gorillas. It's like the humans are the only ones who know 
like how fulcrum works and how yes. to get out of the situation. They they have more knowledge and more practical skills and intelligence. Uh-huh. It seemed very like I don't know. It seemed heavy handed to me. Out of nowhere, because yes. it it didn't seem to be the case in the last episodes. There no. seemed to be yeah. more of a a question of morality, you know, about the killing yes. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And in gladiators, this one was like, "Hey, humans are smarter than you." See? <laughs> so. Yeah, and and isn't that isn't that the closing line something where um uh like um one of the astronauts says something about Urko, and then Galen mm-hmm. says something like, "Well, you don't think you're smarter than a gorilla, do you?" Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, yeah, no, you're you're right. It does it does have a bit of um, it does kind of go a bit more heavy handed than the other ones. The the other ones felt more um, I I, I don't I, I think I think part of what like gladiators that was interesting is that when the actual story begins going within that village, the guys um, Galen is still very involved, but the guys are kind of in the background just having to fight sort of, mm-hmm. so they're sort of like a human variation in the mix whereas Galen is the one who's leading in and saying stuff like not all humans are bloodthirsty monsters that kind of thing but this it's 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 interesting because I really wish I liked it more I thought it's, yeah. that's not a bad episode it's not a bad episode no, but no. um yeah, but it's um it just it's uh you know it is it is the third episode of the show so there's there's every good chance that you know I don't. I don't know if you know. I was going to say the show's still finding its footing. Maybe it's it's trying to figure out exactly what it's up to. But yeah, it it, it definitely. I mean, I think I think if you like the first two episodes, you'll like uh, quite a bit of this. It just seems a bit. You could tell it's not the same writer. Definitely. Right. Oh, I just I have it playing here, and there's um, you know, there's that girder that sticks out of the ground and sticks mm-hmm. into the subway, mm-hmm. and there's a bit where um. Our astronaut friend is kind of like jamming a crowbar into the girder, and all of a sudden, like four or five big stones fall down and all hit him on the head. And he kind of like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. And I thought those are st- stones, aren't they? Isn't that are those huge chunks of rock? Would that hurt? Yeah, that, that would knock you out. <laughs> it's, it's that it's that thing you see. I'm like I'm a Doctor Who fan. You see that quite often in like '70s Doctor Who, where like rocks will roll down hills, and like people will forget those are rocks. You're, you're doing your best, but you know that's not that's not they're not meant to be that light. You know. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, oh, so what else do you have on this one? Let me look at my notes. Oh, the earthquakes were interesting. I was going yep. to bring that up. Well, I mean, this, it, this one... it let you know where it was. The, you're like, oh, I'm in, you know, Southern California or Northern California. Where are the earthquakes? Where's yeah, we're San, San Francisco. Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco. Yes. I don't know Northern, where, Northern California. where they are. Yeah, San we're Francisco, in uh, Northern right? California. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I thought um, that was a nice touch, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that that let the viewer know where they were, unless you're me. Um, <laughs> I, I, instance where... Oh, I realized that Morse code needs to be something I learn because that saved them in this instance. Yes, yes. Um, the the Morse code on the girder. So mm-hmm. I, I realized I don't know Morse code. So I, I'm wondering yeah. if that's a skill I should learn. I almost learned that in Boy Scouts. That was like something when I was there that they I I want to say they taught like what like or they began to teach like a summer camp I was at. But the thing was, the summer camp was like a co-ed summer camp, and there was this girl I really liked. And so it was like, I'm going to Morse code camp, but really I was chasing Brenda around. So, you know, <laughs> That's you know, maybe <laughs> so maybe, maybe that'll come back to haunt me. 
at some future when I need the Morse code. I, I will say this episode um, for about three, I think this is maybe when I fell asleep for about three minutes. It relies heavily on Morse code. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is basically one guy on a um, studio backlot with his ear to a girder sticking out of the ground, as you just hear, ting, 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 <laughs> ting, 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 ting. It's going yeah. to become YYZ by Rush. Dan, 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 you know, ting, 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 ting. And then it cuts to a guy in a subway tunnel with his ear to the girder, hoping no stones fall out of there. Ting, ting, ting. ting. I, I think... I think that's where I fell asleep because I remember them starting to do that and thinking, I always like when they do stuff like this and like disaster films or things where they have to, you know, just do weird stuff like, well, this isn't that weird, but it is weird. No, it is weird. This is a, this is an ape controlled earth, you know, you know, with, uh, yeah. um, But as I was sitting there watching it, it, one of those things happened. That's where I fell asleep. And I remember I woke up once briefly while the episode was still on and they were still to ting 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 yeah. and i thought is this like 20 minutes long and then i fell asleep again and the episode was over it doesn't go yeah, on for they, 20 they minutes they have whole almost. conversations i'm like really can this <laughs> i thought you just want to get your point across with with morse code yeah yeah maybe back in the year this came out like just more people knew morse code you know it's it's i, I, I don't know i mean it's like you know it's like what what i what i briefly thought of just because uh, as we're recording this christmas christmas just passed is the scene in a christmas story where ralphie has his secret decoder thing and and um yeah. little orphan annie it's like 14 5 8 9 and he's taking down the letters and he's taking down the letters and that shot you know and and his brother had really has to pee or whatever he has to do outside the room and oh, Ralphie, what's going on oh, stuff that's crazy like that and but really all the scene is is some kid sitting on a toilet with a little secret decoder ring writing down letters and i thought maybe if they had had things a little crazier when they were doing the morse code maybe if something nutty had been going on you know around them because really all it is yeah exactly exactly i mean because they do keep saying like the air is running out but if that's like a subway tunnel area I would think there'd be more than like 20 minutes of air in there. Yeah. I don't know. They didn't even decide on which it was, bad air or the air was running out. He's like, either there's gas in here or we're running out of air. It's like, eh, I think you would know the difference. <laughs> you know, like pick one. Yeah. I think that, again, with the, the writing was a little, eh, in this so... one. They're like, well, you know, either it's a gas leak or they're running out of air. It doesn't matter. how <laughs> yeah, exactly. it does, it does, It's a bad. Just let it ride. Let it ride. Let it, 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 does really, it does really feel like sort of the writer had... Their, the thing that they were up to and wanted to get accomplished. And there were a few things here and there that maybe could have been cleared up or cleaned up or eliminated. Um, but, you know, you got 50 minutes to fill. And if watching right. ting to ting 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 to ting 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 to ting <laughs> is, is maybe it was thrilling. I don't know. Maybe it was like all the kids were sitting around there going, E, R. You know, maybe they all knew it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you know, you know. I, f- I feel like it's one of those things, like you know, if you watch, um, I don't, I don't even know what I'm thinking of uh, right now, but if you, if you, like, if you, if you read a really old book from a long time ago or something, and it brings up some sort of like a recipe or a, or a, a skill or a technique that someone knew back then that we just don't know now. You know, like if you just you, you semaphore. How many of us know semaphore or an Aldous lamp or something? I'm thinking of Monty Python right now. Like a semaphore, all the you know things were like you know you, you see someone in, and if you were 
encountering that back in the day, you'd be like, okay, all right. So I, we all know how to do this. So that's that, that's that, and that's that. But we sit there today and go, okay, ting, 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 ting. Okay, what's going on? What's happening? And it's tricky too because, and then I'll stop talking about the Morse code. But, but about half the things that they say in Morse code are sort of telegraphed. So you know what they're going to say. So, so you're just sitting there waiting for someone to say, he just said that. <laughs> so, so you're like, oh, okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're very kind. You're very kind. Um, so, uh, do you, do you have anything else about this one? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, the only thing I thought was interesting was, um, I did read up a little on this episode and, um, oh. they are actually on a old MGM lot that was being demolished. So that was all, the set was all oh, actually wow. just like that. And they oh, uh, cool. they said, hey, can we use that? Because it would be great for, you know, a abandoned, destroyed city. So yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. That, 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 that's the, the, the moment you see the um, this, the, the, the backlot street, for a, for a brief second, it actually kind of reminded me like of um, – it, well, well, it looked like, almost like – slightly like almost like a matte painting or just, just like something fake for a moment – and I thought, are they really going to go on that street? And then when they do, you're like, oh, wow. They really got on there. They must have been. I did not know that, but that's cool, though, that they're tearing it down. And they said, hey, we're doing Planet of the Apes. Can we get on here for a week? And they said, whoa, Planet of the Apes. Get on here. <laughs> yeah. Go, you go right ahead. You, you go, please. Go right ahead. But, uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, because it, that's what it looks like. It looks like a backlot street that is – it looks like a backlot street that is already torn apart. It doesn't look right. like because you can you can sort of tell when you watch movies when they um like they use a backlot and sort of mm-hmm. in quotes tear it apart because it, it's one of those things like um where they um if you if you if, if, if you like um and I don't know where this came from but there's a um there's a there's a uh, there's a Mexican horror film called Don't Panic in it there's a scene where um, a lead character throws a temper tantrum. And tears apart his room, and his room is covered with posters and all sorts of little model cars and things like that. And when he goes in the tantrum, you can tell that there are certain things in the room that he's allowed to tear apart and certain things that he's not allowed to touch. <laughs> and so he'll like go up and he'll tear one poster, and then he'll go to another poster and just slap it. And then he'll go to something <laughs> else and he'll knock over a car. And then he'll go to another car and he'll be like, Ugh, at it, you know, and he won't touch it. And that's that's the way. Um, <laughs> true backlot sets look when they sort of apocalypse them it's like right. nothing's really destroyed there's just a lot of rubble around but this thing looks right. like a mess yeah that's why I kind of looked into it I'm like this looks like things are actually being demolished <laughs> yes, yes exactly yeah. <laughs> like uh, piles of things everywhere piles uh, of rubble yeah. uh, so so um, th- thank you for, for finding that And um, I think I think that's all I have on this one so our gang's still on the run uh, maybe they learn some things from some gorillas. Maybe some gorillas uh, learn some things from them. You know, Galen's still having a good time. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. Galen's hair is always perfect. Oh yeah, yeah. And the guys, the guys are a little rough at the end of the episode, but Galen's doing all right. Uh, so, what, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore Conqueror. All right. Uh, next up, our next episode, episode four, the good seeds. I don't know. It could be anything. So uh, thank you uh, again, Amy, and let's us let us go on to this. Yeah.
Stretch, Episode 6, Operation Iceman. This one's got Bianco in it. That's Tony Franciosa. And it is directed by Robert Friend and written by S.S. Schweitzer, October 25th, 1972. In this one, there is an uh, international assassin named the Iceman who is after a gentleman like an ambassador a u.s ambassador and uh bianco is put in charge of a bunch uh a bunch of probes including a young woman named stephanie burnside who uh was uh one of the probes at the at the desks one of the desks and she's she is this is her first time out in the field um the other team members there's a french guy who's a little snooty and who always seems to be he seems to, he seems to like kind of want bianco's job or something and then another guy is um I mean, the character's name is Pelham, David Pelham, uh, who was like um, Bianco's mentor, and who's like, he's eight minutes from retirement kind of thing. And they kind of, don't quite, but sort of go around the world looking for this Iceman, trying to find out, trying to stop him or her, uh, so he or she or they can't get to this ambassador. But it's one of those tricky ones where the Iceman always seems to be one step ahead of them. Why is that? And... No, that would give something away. Uh, and why is... Why, I'm not going to say anymore. That's it. That's it. They're, they're trying to stop the Iceman, and the Iceman always seems to be one step ahead. Uh, Mitchell and I are here. We talk for a while. You'll love it. Listen to this. Operation Iceman. Another episode of Search. This one again with Bianco. Two in a row. And I am sitting here with the great, the wonderful, don't mess with them, Mitchell Hadley. How are you, Mitchell? <laughs> I'm well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I, um, it's it's funny when I first watched this show on Warner Archive Instant, probably back in 2014. This was one I always remembered. Um, so whenever I would put it on, I go, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember this one quite well." Um, so I'm wondering right off the bat, what did you think of this? You know, we were presented with a very interesting scenario, and again, this is one that I think is is somewhat common when it comes any kind of a show like search the idea that there may be a mole in the organization and those plots almost always work well because they're very interesting and you don't know who the mole is in a good series the one thing you do know is that it's hardly ever the person that it is obviously supposed to be. So, with that, we've got another quasi-personal episode from Bianco. His his mentor, his friend, the man he learned everything from, uh, the ghost and Mrs. Muir himself, Edward Mulher. And you've got uh, Mary Fran, who is not Gloria Harding, and uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm having the withdrawal there, but yes, yes. Um, but it 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 is is really an interesting uh, scenario because she's essentially plucked out of control to go into the field, and I wonder how often something like that happens. And then you have um, another agent. What's his name? Andre. Girard, uh, yes, Andre Girard, like yes. Yes. So what happened is that Bianco has assembled 
a team. He's asked for a team. He's assembled a team to try and protect James Gregory, who is an ambassador at large. And that doesn't mean that he's big. He's not near a wolf. It just <laughs> yes. means that he, he has a very broad portfolio. He, uh, and, and he's obviously a, a very important man. And, uh, someone is trying to kill him, surprisingly. And so that's, the scenario we have. We have the target. We have the team. And as the episode progresses, we have the possibility that someone has infiltrated Probe and is tipping off the bad guys as to what's going on. They're always a step ahead. What's happening? And this is something that uh, Bianco does not like. No, 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 <laughs> no. Um, I think I, I really like this episode. I was I was saying in the last one that I I felt like it was like the first half of like a Bond film or something. It mm, felt like there should yes. be more. Like maybe there was someone behind the bad guys or something. It felt a little too minor. The thing I like about this one is that this one, this one. I mean, it's it's not epic, but it it goes through in the fifty minutes sort of all your stages almost yes. almost of a bond film it goes kind of around the world ish um it goes from here to suddenly they're there to suddenly they're there, to suddenly they're there and then they're back here and then it does kind of that thing that bond films will occasionally do or or dramas will occasionally do we're like in the last 15 minutes at at the point where they're back at probe control and like bianco shuts everything down it's it seems like in the last 10 15 minutes it seems like go off in a different direction yeah, yeah, which and, which which is fun. It is, and it's it's it gives us an opportunity to kind of watch Bianco's thought process because mm -hmm. there's this moment when all of a sudden he, he you've had this feeling for a while that there's something about this case he does not like. Yes, um, he's supposed to be in charge, and yet Gerard always seems to be anticipating what needs to be done yes. and he's uh, and 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 uh, bianco is is bristling about this and y you think that it is because he feels that his authority is being challenged but as the story unfolds you also get the idea that this is something else that to him is, is saying this just isn't quite right there's something going on here something yeah and then the, the moment comes when yes. he turns everything off and uh, he demands t total control and even Cam doesn't know what to do with him. And I'm, I, you know, we know that you have this reputation for being difficult to uh, get along with sometimes, which I, considering how long he must have been with Probe, I'm surprised that they're just now figuring this out yes, but, yes. <laughs> but but be that as it may there's no point at which you think that he is acting unreasonably no. it's like he's in he's got it here he's in control just let him go because he's got yes. an idea and and the, the, yeah yeah like that's that's the thing about it too is like you know in in the previous episodes he worked a well well no I mean he he brought 
Stephanie Powers along with him, forgive me, on the, the one episode there, didn't he, if I, if I yes. remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great to bring along on, on any a case smart, or adventure. Smart man, yes. yes. Smart choice. But, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the fact that, you know, he's, he's trying to protect this guy, this ambassador, who is a friend of his. Yeah. And he, so he assembles this team, and it's like the longer he spends with the team, the more obvious it is someone on the team is giving it away. And, you know, rude, and, and so they're... And they're actually, it's it's interesting because the moment when he, I think it's interesting, the moment when he does, has almost like the, we're shutting this down and da da, and he goes up to the one guy, the language guy, yeah. the guy who knows, I, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but he kind of, and, and the guy's like looking at some, like, I forget what, like looking at the cameras and like where the ambassador's going to be or something. Yes, the security plans. Yes, and he Bianco sort of suddenly realizes something. Just goes up to him and says, "Turn him off! Turn him off!" And he starts to turn him off kind of slowly. And he's "Turn him off!" And and the, the language guy kind of looks at him, looks at him and says, I, "I'm turning him off, Nick." And there's just kind of a great um, uh, kind of uh, kind of this nice moment there where um, you know even though Bianco is the guy who goes out in the in the in the, in the into the realm out in the wild and gets beat up and this that and the other and gets to hold hands with nice ladies, you know he still respects and they all still are you know. Close as can be, you know, um, which I, I, li- I really like that, that moment. I don't know why I like that so much. But the moment he does all of that is because a clue, something is revealed that only Bianco gets. Yep. Yep. And, and he I, has that. It, it's kind of that almost literally that heart stopping moment that I yes. think all of us have felt at one time or another when you just everything stops. Yeah, and and you and 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 you could sort of when you when you realize, um, and maybe you don't catch it. Maybe if if you're watching, you don't catch what he did, what what he he does. Um, it's it's fairly obvious, and I, I think it's kind of meant to be fairly obvious. I, I don't think it's meant to be um, that much of a, a huge surprise. Um, although it might be, I don't know. I, I, I've watched this episode like five or six times, so I, I don't remember anymore my initial thought on it. But it just, it really has one of those things like if you're doing something and you think everything's going one way, and then suddenly you realize that it's going completely in the wrong direction, and you you got to shut it down and you got to do. And it's just like he ends up looking a bit like a madman, mm-hmm. but he's doing exactly what he he has to do to stop everything dead to prevent anything else from happening. And the interesting thing about that is that, uh, of course, Cam is completely taken aback by this, but there's also, at the same time, there's something in the back of your mind wondering if this isn't, it hasn't all been a plan, that he and Cam are in on it together. True, yeah. And uh, it, it, whether it is or not is immaterial. It's just that this, it's it's like the identity of, who the, the the mole is, it always keeps you guessing, and so you're not sure yes. what's going on. In another in another life, had this been a movie, or if it was a series that was made today, where they don't have as many compunctions about killing regulars off in the middle of the season, yes. you could even wonder if Cam was the mole. Yes, yes. And, that, and the fun thing about it is that, oh, well, I keep saying the fun thing about it. I like the episode, so I'm going to yeah. say that. I'm sorry. i got to write down, damn, don't say the fun thing about it anymore. <laughs> um, the fun thing, I'm kidding. No, the, the thing is that you never, ever think that Bianco is the one. So there's no. the moment where he's standing in the middle of the room, 
and suddenly for a split second, if you didn't catch the clue, you're like, anyone in the room could be the mole. Anyone yeah. in the room could be the Iceman or the Iceman's assistant. The Iceman's ass- cometh, yes. Yeah, the assistant to the Iceman. So so it's a sudden, sudden, the sudden realization sort of that anybody could be, except for Bianco. So when he's acting crazy, mm-hmm. he's acting crazy because it, 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 you almost, you almost want to, like as he's going, the elevator is leaving. You almost want to hear him yell something like, "I regret now even forming a team." Yeah, <laughs> I'm so angry that I started a team. I should have done this myself. You get the impression he really, in retrospect, would have been happier with that. But yes, the thing about it is that in in tra- the tradition of the genre, you don't know, of course, who the mole is. You've got his his great friend, his mentor. You've got um, this woman with whom he's been off and on quasi-flirting. And then you've got this guy who's kind of smarmy and obnoxious and who you're meant to think is the mole. And as the viewer, you enter into this guessing game that you wouldn't be doing in real life. But because you're watching the show and because you know the conventions of the genre, you find yourself saying, okay, is it? Gerard because it's so obviously him it can't be but what if that's what the writer is thinking if he's thinking I'll make it him because it's so obviously him that nobody will think it I was being yes. that obvious or 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 is it is it Mary Fran because we've never seen her in control before yes. and so she's like a red shirt she's expendable and she almost pushes herself onto uh the the um the uh, uh, um, uh, mission in yes. some respects. Yes, and I thought, you know, to digress for a second, I thought that was a perfect opportunity to have Bianco playing the uh, the chauvinist of the time that would, which which we would notice far more than you would have noticed if you were watching it at the time. Yes. Yes. But instead, he's uh, sure. Why not? Come on. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting. But so is it here? Is it her? Or is it is it? Uh, Pelham, his old yes. friend. Um, it it really it really is intriguing because all of them are plausible, mm-hmm. and it is that that I think is the sign of a well plotted episode, and yes. uh, uh, and that that uh, you really don't know which way it's going to go. It's like the lady or the tiger. Yeah, and uh, a, a, a good example of of the you, you don't quite know which way it's going to go is when they go to they go to Portugal. Where do they go? I want to say they go to Portugal. Where, wherever it is, they go to meet the first guy. Mm-hmm. There's a sniper, and everyone is assembled in a certain way to stop the sniper. And in one way or another, everyone but Bianco falls down on the job. Gerard vanishes. Uh, Miss Burnside there yeah. um, pulls her car too far in front of the um, the the sniper who ends up going off a cliff into the water in a, in a way that reminds me of uh, Giallo fans uh, the strange vice of Mrs. Ward it reminds me of what happens to the car at the end of that movie a bit of a spoiler but I thought that because they came out around the same time the way the car kind of goes off and just kind of hits the water and there's something about it that's um I don't know something just Something about it made me. Uh, I don't know what I felt when I saw. You know, I didn't. I didn't laugh, but it was like when when that happens, it's sort of like, ooh, that's too bad. 
kind of, even for a sniper. That was kind of too bad. Nobody deserves um, that. Yes, exa- exactly. That just seems a bit ouch. And, and, um, and you're, oh, you're right. As, as Bianco observes all of these things happening, he's undoubtedly asking himself, did she do that on purpose? Yes, and he might not have thought it at the moment, but he it doesn't take long before everything, anything that anyone does becomes suspect. Yes, and the other guy, his friend there, gets shot immediately and can't join in. Mm -hmm. And and it could be, you know, I'm sure Bianco isn't probably thinking at that moment, but you could have the thought of, so did did the sniper like. Is is he faking it? Did the sniper? Did the sniper? Did he hire the sniper? And the sniper shot him in the arm to make it look, you know, like he wasn't involved with it. But there is, there is kind of when you get to the end of that sequence. There's, it's, it's, it's great. Like they're they're looking down at the car. Oh, I'm watching it now. Yeah, it goes. Oh, and it's just smash. And it's a <laughs> manix, and it's just it's just so unpleasant. It looking, it just bounces, and then it just like just hits the water and sits there. You know, it doesn't like sink into the water, or float away. It just kind of sits there, and there's something about it that's just kind of like, oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's a bad break. Yeah, um, and and th- but there is a moment right there where Miss um, Burnside is. I mean, I I I do wonder if. I mean, I, I would think people like Bianco and our guys, our main guys, maybe not Grover. Who knows what what the heck he's up to? But but like Lockwood and Bianco, you would think they're sort of hired directly to probe it. Yes. As it were. But then you must also think, like, if it's a security agency, you know, every single one can't be, World War Three is going to break out if this doesn't happen. You know, some of them has, you know, it's like, you know, the the the, um, the Nabisco people have called and they think the Keebler elves are stealing all their crackers at night, so we need someone to, you know, hang out at the warehouse. You know, it's like, you got it! You know, something like that. You know, there has to be stuff they do like that. Yep. You know, so, so they're probably like the people... Well, I mean... Like the language guy, I wouldn't think you'd put him out in the field because if he knows every single language, you he'd keep be him much there. more valuable in control. Yeah. Yes, but they're, but they're they're obviously. I, I'm wondering if like some of the people there are meant to be there. That's their job, and maybe some people are like they're kind of like okay, you're going to learn this, and then we're going to send you somewhere else. Some are being trained for probes. Some are being trained to be right there. Yep. And stay stay in there. Um, and maybe even Cameron was a probe at one time that, when that's young Burgess entirely possible. I, that that is a prequel I would enjoy seeing. Because could they don't say when probes started, but I'd love if like um like like when it started, like they all were by like little radios or something, you know. Yeah. They, they didn't have screens, and it was like they were all writing. You know, there were no computer. They were all just writing things down quickly. Give me that name, okay? Everyone knows shorthand. That's where we all know shorthand. Yeah. Everyone speaks in shorthand. <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 it, it, it's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's a, I use that too often, but it's still true. <laughs> well, it's fun. No, I'm kidding. See, I did it again. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think the 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 thi- yeah the thing I, I my my main sort of love for this episode is I just love the fact that it. Um, you know, starts off in probe control, which is, I guess, I want to say in the Los Angeles area because that's where the building is. Yeah, that's what uh, I figured. 
And then it goes to Washington, D.C. Then it goes to, I think, Portugal. And then the one guy goes to France. And then they go to England. And then they're back in probe control. Then they're in Washington, D.C. again for the last, like, 10 to 15 minutes. You know, and there are car chases. And there are snipers. And buildings explode. And, and there are all sorts of tricky shenanigans with security cameras. And, and shootouts in parking garages. The episode kind of has everything. It does. It does. Uh, it, action. That's... Yes, <laughs> and, and, and and I mean it's not all it's not all like um it's not it's not Bond epic action, um but it is like I mean the moment when they're going to like uh, when they're all in London and it's like okay we've got a um, court order to go into the bibliophile and find out this information they need and then it cuts to like the camera's like looking out over a lawn and there's a building to the left and they're all walking towards it and then all of a sudden the building just explodes outwards. And it's you like, know oh, that that was the building they were headed for. Yes, exactly. And it's, and it's just it's it's nice that I, I like the fact that they're um they're really trying to give it their all, mm-hmm. and they're trying to like like I said with the last episode, I wasn't satisfied, but I like the fact that they were trying something slightly different. They were going, you know, and and so that's um I, I think I think like they're at a much more interesting spot spy show wise than say like forgive me like get smart was at the beginning i love get smart it's one of my favorite shows but get smart starts off with mr big written by and you know this mitchell i'm not saying this to you he's (laughs) i can hear mitchell on the other end going yeah i got it i got it oh god (laughs) but um (laughs) mr big is written by mel brooks buck henry and that episode is basically 25 minutes of them thinking up every single gag they can that makes fun of James Bond. And then when the show is picked up, almost immediately in the second episode, Diplomat's Daughter, you can feel, and I, I've said this before about shows, but I, I always use Get Smart because it's a good example. In Diplomat's Daughter, you can almost feel everyone saying like, well, we can't do what Mr. Big did in every single episode because we'll tell every joke we could think of like six or seven episodes in, and we just got an order for 30. So we need to dial it back. So they bring it back a little. So much of the first season of Get Smart, which is very funny, isn't as funny as the next season of Get Smart. I think Get Smart, the second and the fourth seasons are my favorites. And the third season is quite good, too. The fifth season is quite good, too. But, like, the first season kind of has a space where it's trying to, like, it's trying to get the tone right. Because, you know, it's trying to do action and comedy, but it's using sitcom directors who can't quite get action right. Yeah. It's also it's also trying not to... Batman sometimes has that trouble, too, with the fight scenes. Um, but it's also trying to... Um, it's also trying to spoof as much as it can, but not overdo it. So they're like, oh, we already did that joke five episodes ago. We got to have new stuff to do. And so it takes a while to get where it needs to be. Whereas I think Search probably because Leslie Stevens is such a strong guiding hand at the beginning, I think, like, Search is in a beautiful spot already, like yes. six episodes in. And I think, to me, this is this is almost like um, a mini James Bond movie. And, um, and the way that he takes over everything in the last, like, ten minutes, and you're not 100% sure exactly what it is Bianco's up to, and then it ends, and you're like, and it's, it's very satisfying. I think it's it, a very it, satisfying episode. That's a very good way of putting it. So, uh, well, what else do you have on this? I don't want to go overboard because this is one I could talk about forever. So I'm, I'm not going to go crazy. The, um, the the last thing that I'll add is that 
we've talked about the the moment where Bianco realizes uh, when he shuts down control that something is up. There is another really nice Bianco moment at the end when he puts everything together and he has that aha moment. Uh, he's he is. Um, playing with a, a lucky coin and all of a sudden something triggers something else and he yes. realizes what's been going on and it wasn't it wasn't that he was headed in the wrong direction it was that he wasn't entirely clear what direction he should be going in and when yes. he realizes that that's a that's a, a moment of great subtlety and uh, I, I think in in our last podcast, I had mentioned that we weren't talking a lot about Bianco, even though he was the propelling force in the story. This one, we are talking a lot about him yes. because it, it it's all about the way he reacts to given situations and the way he reacts to the people that are around him. And this is another great one. He's all alone in the scene, and that that's when he has that aha moment. But yes. it brings everything together, and it's a really nice, nicely done scene. Yeah, and, and it's 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 great too because regardless of how many team members are there there are, regardless of this, that, and the other, it is you follow Bianco. Because he's the one who's solving it. Yes. Amidst all the other stuff, all the other shenanigans and things like that, he's the one that's doing it. And and Tony Franciosa carries it very well. Does it very well, especially um, during a long sequence where he's wearing a really cool pink uh, shirt. Yes. I like a good pink. I like a good pink <laughs> shirt on a guy. I have at my wedding. I wore a pink shirt. My my groomsmen they wore pink shirts. We had you know your, the suit and then the pink shirt mm-hmm. underneath. And it's funny because you you never really think you you never really I, I I don't know if it's just me or not, but I never really noticed like how many guys wore pink shirts in television and stuff because I see it quite often. I'm like, oh my gosh, a pink shirt! Look at that! What's going on? And yeah, uh, uh, Bianca looks good in the shirt. So yes, he does. You know, there's one other thing I, I just thought of too, and I won't mm-hmm. I won't belabor the point, but it it's it's one of the limitations of television. So I'm not picking on this very much, but <clears throat> it occurred to me I I think that when when Bianca appears to go off the rails kind of that he's going to be a lone wolf on this if i'm remembering correctly cam says something about i want every available probe agent in the hemisphere on this case and the first thought i had was well if this were real life the next person we'd be seeing is lockwood yeah, because wouldn't that have been interesting yeah. because because they've kind of established at least my wife and I both have this feeling that he's the number one agent, yes, I think so too, yeah. and it's inconceivable if they really were bringing everybody in. It's inconceivable that he wouldn't be the one that would be involved in it, mm-hmm. and um the you know even if he was involve even if he was on another case then my wife said well maybe maybe he is maybe he's on another case and i said yeah but i think if he were on another case he'd be working with cam 
because yes, I get yes. the I, if he's if he's if he's agent number one, I get the impression that he and Cam are kind of a team themselves. So yeah. I can't believe that uh, that he wouldn't be in on that 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 Cam wouldn't be working with him. Uh, if yeah. he was if he was on another case, so the the next episode next month when we're talking about this may give you a little insight into mm. why he might not have been on the case. But yeah. that was that was my first thought was where is Hugh O'Brien? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, oh, the, my, my thought on it was it must have just been a time where possibly like a day or two before all this started, he was like, I'm taking that vacation and I'm turning everything off for two weeks. And I was like, oh, it happened during the two weeks. Well, he we can't get in touch with them. Um, because I, I would love, I would love if like maybe the cliffhanger had been, uh, if it had been a two part and the cliffhanger had been like Bianco kind of looked like he was going off the rails and then Cameron contacting someone and then you see like a hand reach up and maybe grab like a drink or something like that and then you see it's like Lockwood like, um, <laughs> in like a, a nudist colony. No, I'm kidding, <laughs> but like in like a, like a, like a can, like, no, <laughs> somewhere just relaxing and there's a lovely lady there and he's like, what is it, Cam? You know, I'm on my two-week vacation. Bianco's gone rogue. He's after the Iceman. We need you to join him. Okay, I'll be right there to be continued. Yes. And then the next episode is Lockwood trying to find what Bianco is doing. And that would have been a fun episode. That I would, like that. That's actually. a hell of an idea there. That's that a... that uh, you the, the idea of having a two-part episode with a different lead in each part. Yes, yes. And then and then through much of the second one, it would be maybe there's something else bigger going on that we don't know about that Lockwood discovers. And then maybe occasionally sees Bianco, you know, kind of appear here and there or yep. something like that. Yeah, I saw him. I don't know what he was doing. Um, but that's I like that idea. I like that a lot. Yes. <laughs> second season. If there had been a second season, they would have done stuff like that. Reboot. Um, reboot. Yes. Did you say yes, reboot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I will just uh, I will just throw out a f- uh, few things real quick, and then we will wrap this one up. Because, like I said, I could go on about this one for ages. I love the um, the flipping the book of the membership for the bibliophile in front of the camera. Yes. Um, yes. when the guy when the the guy says, "Here here's the membership and he's and uh, uh, all the people who are part of this this um, the bibliophile and 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 Bianca's like, oh, "I'll have a quick scan." What? I'll oh, just quick flip through it. And then he flips through it and they record <laughs> it and then they slow it down so they can see each page. I like that. Um, there's a sequence where um, his mentor guy, they're on a dock and the mentor knocks Bianco out because he wants to try to do he, he wants to prove that he's not you know just because he's about to retire he wants to prove that he's still worth something like Bianco and he ends up getting in a boat driving away and the boat explodes but and that's great but they actually do something if you watch the DVD they do something that um, my, my wife and I never had a name for I know what it is um, but we called it the uh, the J.R. Ewing effect where um uh, if you watch a Dallas, um, the episodes always end on a freeze frame, and then on the freeze frame you get uh, superimposed, you know, executive producer David Jacobs or whoever. Mm-hmm. And if you're watching it on DVD or some sort of high def kind of, not not I know DVD isn't isn't high def, but it can 
show stuff that was scanned in high def. Um, if, if you're watching it on something that's not just like a regular like old print that they're showing uh, syndicated, we would get to the end of the episodes when we did our full watch through Dallas. And when we got near the end, my wife and I would play the game, which shot is the freeze frame? <laughs> and usually it was something with JR. But the thing is, you can tell a lot of the times which shot is going to be the freeze frame because that shot involves an optical effect. And when you have an optical effect, which is the executive producer, um, that the image you're seeing is not from the original negative. It's a copy. So you'll see, so you see it in this. So the, the, the boat's driving away and you see Bianco on the, on the, on the, on the dock and the boat explodes and then it cuts to Bianco and his face is like, what? And then the search logo goes in front of his face and it goes to commercial. And that shot of Bianca going, what? Is, does not look anywhere near as good as all the other shots. And that's do you know do you know what I'm talking about, Mitchell? I, I don't want to. I do. I, don't belabor. I do yes. actually because you you uh, mentioned once, and I can't remember if it was on the show here or if it beat, was maybe when I we think. were just talking. But okay, um, the the when when you when you see a scene about to transition to, or fade to another scene, yes, and you yes. see that moment where uh, the the print the quality of the print changes slightly. And I'd never really noticed that before, although intellectually I understood what you were talking about mm-hmm. with the process. But ever since you've mentioned that, I can't not see it. It, so, it happened. And <laughs> Sorry. I, I promise to all of you listening to this that now, now that Dan has mentioned this, you won't be able to unsee it. It's 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 because um, the 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 all the images are from all the images on here should be from uh, the original negative is is scanned to make the print that is used that is shown. But the thing is, when you have an optical effect back in the day, an optical effect is you basically take. I don't want to go too crazy here, but but you you have to you're combining two pieces of film into a new piece of film. So you have the original negative with Bianco's face. You have a piece of film with the search logo. And they scan over one another in a certain way. And it's much more complicated than that. So, so I'd love to talk about it in depth, but this, this I, I don't want to go too far. But, it, but it's basically, if you see a shot where, yeah, you see JR, freeze frame, executive producer David Jacobs. You're basically seeing two two things at once. You're seeing the image of JR, which is the original negative, and then you're seeing an image, a piece of film that has the writing on it. That is shot at once and becomes a new piece of film that's put into the negative, a new piece of negative that's put into the original negative, but that's a second generation because the first generation is the original shot. Now you've combined two shots so that so you're seeing a second generation JR in just for that shot. So you can tell, you can tell, you can really tell with Bianco here. Everything looks really good. You could really tell on Warner Archive Instant when it was in HD. All bad. But but you and and it's funny. I you you can see it more and more in these episodes too. I think there's one commercial break where like the last shot before the search logo is like 15 seconds, and I remember sitting there going, "This is going on a long time." 
this is going to be, no, the logo's not going to, is it? There's the logo. It's, yeah, I do stupid things sometimes. But so, <laughs> so that, there's more to it than that. But basically, optical printing is taking the original negative, another image, printing them together to create a new piece of negative. But that piece, that negative is a second generation for the image which means that if you scan it high def, unless you do all sorts of digital jiggery-pokery to it, it's going to be slightly... It's second generation. I mean, you mm-hmm. used to remember, like, when you would record on a VHS, you know, and if you made a copy of someone's copy, it was degraded slightly. That's what happened slightly here. And so that's what that is. And you can see that and play a game. Have fun with it. You know, yes. do that. Rockford Files is fun to do that, too. Um, uh, at the at the end of the episodes, um, especially on the Blu-ray. So sorry, um, and I hope I don't I don't want to drive anyone nuts by that. But like I said, my wife and I used to do that, and for like the first two or three seasons, I used to win almost every time. <laughs> and then eventually, I told her why I was winning. She said, "How do you know?" And I took her back to the episode and I said, "Watch right here. Look at that. That looks really good. Watch right there. What do you notice? That looks a little darker." That's the last image. Mm-hmm. So that's what you have to look for. When the image degrades slightly, that's the second generation image. So, and that's me talking a lot of junk about who cares? Who cares, right, Dan? <laughs> well, maybe you do care. I don't know, but it's it's fun to watch. So that is that. Uh, we'll end it here. That's Operation Iceman, <laughs> and that's my little optical printer. Because I I did that like when I was in film school. I've done that several times. I've I've done that. You you could see that you could see that happening. Um. So um. So Mitchell, where can we find you online? You can find me at itsabouttv.com, and I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I have links to that, along with a lot of other interesting things. <laughs> he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. Oh, and don't so forget the, my books. You can read about yes. my books online too. So go go to the um, go to the uh, website. Click on uh, my books. Uh, buy all three of them if you've already yes, got them. Please. Buy them for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guess, just guess. buy a lot of books, and I'll be uh, very grateful. <laughs> Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you again, Mitchell. That was Operation Iceman, everybody. And I, I am hoping in the next like month or so on on your site, um, you'll you'll have an article showing the images. You know, showing look at the you know something like the how to spot an image before the freeze frame or the final shot. And you'll have we will images, we I'm... will dissect that more than the Zapruder film. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's Operation Iceman, everyone. And next up is this. Seeing Detective, Episode 4, Clues, December 7th, 1986, directed by John Emile, as all six of them are, and written by Dennis Potter. And in this one, Marlowe is getting much better. Uh, There's no one new next to him in the bed yet. And sort of the main things that happen, not a lot happens in the seeing detective thread the main thing that happens is that the detective is is singing doing his his thing and 
as the episode draws to a close, the two sinister guys are sitting up at a bar looking down at him. P- presumably they're planning on killing him, but we don't know that yet. In the uh, in the hospital sequences, uh, there's a lost sequence where Marlo's wife, or ex-wife, uh, Nicola, comes to visit him, and they have a rather uncomfortable conversation. Um, and, and eventually it comes out that she is there because a, a film company in Hollywood has offered some money to... Um, uh, for a script for the singing detective and Marlo had a long time ago had written a script for the singing detective and she's like where is that script they want to option it and Marlo's like you get out of here I'm not optioning that script that's the only reason you're down here is because it's script etc etc and we do learn right after that that she is working with a gentleman named Finney who looks a lot like Mr. Binney and Mr. Finney is, I guess, working with the production company in some way, and he has found Marlowe's script and has kind of rewritten it just enough so that they don't need Marlowe, but they do need Marlowe to give them the rights to the script, and there's a lot more than the pittance that they she said that Marlowe was being offered involved. And in the, uh, in the uh, 1940s, um, a thing with Mar- uh, Philip at age 10 he's still in London he is there, he's back in London or he's, he's still there in London with his mom and her family and they um, and they are kind of spending all their time kind of laughing at him because of his broad Forest of Dean accent which of course makes him more bothered by them but the sort of main plot line throughout is a day in the schoolhouse where some little boy has basically, or a little girl, possibly, has left a pant load on the teacher's desk. And she's kind of like put a glass cage, like an aquarium around it. And there's a long, uncomfortable sequence where she tries to ferret out who it was who did the duty on the desk. And Philip may in some way be involved. But I'm just going to leave it there. And uh, Madeline and myself are on the other side of this. Clues. I am here to discuss clues with the great seeing detectress herself, mm-hmm. Madeline Marlowe. How are you, Ms. Marlowe? That's me. Or uh, is it? Or is it? That's a clue. It's a cl- Or is, is it? it? That's the thing. Um, this episode might be filled with clues. It or. Or is it? Or is it? Exactly. <laughs> I think it may be. I, I'm having a little coffee as we're going. Mm-hmm. I've got a Buffalo Sabres hockey game playing. You know, you guys know how I love the Sabres. Right now they're kind of in the bed. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So. It is going to be okay. They're a solid team. Yes. They've got pucks. Pucks uh, and guys. And I mean, guys who know not, how to skate. Yeah, it's, it's not like when they say the Sabres are playing Washington, just like Washington is on the rink. You know, there's another team. That's right. That it's team not, is the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, it's not so, the entire team of so, Washington. And they have ads up for um, Wegmans and Tim, Tim Hortons, Hortons and stuff, and which is fun. Key Bank, yeah. everyone's favorite bank. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, so, so let us. So th- this is close. This is um. This is an interesting episode because the f- the first episode to me is like a hog pile of what the hell, mm-hmm. and then the second, the second, the second and third also are hog pile ish but also lead to a point of sort of a sadness at the end of them and kind of a yearning. This one doesn't do that. This one ends with more of a, um, like if you're watching a Doctor Who or a, or a serialized program, you get to, like like Dallas would have, like you get to the ending of an episode and you go, the hell? <laughs> and that's kind of what this one does. So it's kind of a, it, it, it leads to a different sort of 
emotion or feeling for mm-hmm. me by the end of it. But uh, what did you think of this one? Well, I don't know that I've ever seen an episode of anything that focuses so much on a one turd. One, <laughs> True. one piece of poop. True. Uh, I feel like something Dennis Leary may have done may have focused on a piece of poop oh, yes, like this. Oh, yes, that's true. But, but I'm not the, sure. The, I can't the, say the, that. Maybe. The copper, the crapper caper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, or what is it? Uh, Bob's Burgers. Oh, yes. Bob <laughs> the, the pooper. But where you actually see the turd. Yes. And it's uh, it's almost elegant. Is it a British thing? She like she puts the, so the teacher... Uh, you've gone over the, the story. Yes, the, yes, yes. So the teacher puts it in this nice little like box. Like almost an so, aquarium. Like she flips an aquarium. Yeah, like it's their class pet, except it's a turd. It's a turd. <laughs> Maybe it's like a wartime pet. It looks a little pet. like a bunny. Yeah, it's, I suppose there were shortages. <laughs> there were shortages if someone... If I can't get a cute dog like George, our yes. dog, I'm going to poop on the table and put an aquarium around it. Because anything else, I'd they call him Fido. Eaten. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's very poop centric, turd centric. Yes, it is. A... Uh, craptacular. Um, yes. And it. Uh, so Marlo's feeling better, and I do love how he does this with the story as Marlo becomes more. Whole, the story be, starts to make more sense. Uh, I don't mean to say whole, but I mean as he he heals, as his condition heals, he becomes uh, the the story becomes more cogent. Uh, that that's uh, my my point. Just ended on a big turd. I'm, I'm just trying to I'm trying to mirror the episode turd tastity with my commentary. I, I I agree with you because like when we talk about the end of episode two, where I like brought up, it felt almost obviously this was before that, but it almost felt like it was going David Lynch Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And it had some of that in episode three, but this one there are sort of you. This is the first one. You might be able to do this with the first episode too, but because there's so much new stuff in the first episode, it's tough to say until you rewatch it. Yeah. But I would say in this one, you you get four through lines. You get Nicola, yes, coming to visit, discussing the singing detective, and then a Hollywood studio wants a script for it, and they did make a movie with with um, Robert Downey Jr. Yes, they did. Based on the singing detective, so so I don't know Have if. Have you seen it? I haven't. I'd like to. Dennis Potter wrote the script oh. for it right before he died, mm-hmm. and it's it's um it's it's Robert Downey Jr. So yeah. I, I imagine he's pretty darn good. Um, um, and, and like Pennies from Heaven was pretty good mm-hmm. with Steve Martin and Bernadette oh, yeah. Peters, Christopher Walken. Um, I don't think as good as the original with Bob Hoskins the the, the miniseries. Um, but um, uh, so we have the the storyline with Nicola trying yes, to get the rights to, to the, the singing script. detective and Be- perhaps a bit of a we think underhanded way yes because she knows a guy who looks a lot like mark binney from the um the singing detective detective story and also who looks like that guy that may be having an affair with philip's mom in the 1940s story triplets yes and but his name is penny i believe and he he makes a point of saying isn't it weird that like this character is named mark binney and i'm penny yeah and nicola's like whatever um, but then we'll talk about the weird thing that happens with that storyline mm-hmm. as we go along. Um, then so we've got that story. story then You've we've got, got the poop, the poop. turd storyline. Mm-hmm. Someone, someone, someone pooped in the classroom. We're going to find mm-hmm. out who. Who's you, pooping in the who's kitchen pooping with Dinah? Pooping, pooping in the kitchen, I know. Pooping in the kitchen with Dinah, strumming on the old banjo. Third plot. Third plot. Third plot is. Um, 
is I don't remember. Oh, it's the singing detective himself. He's doing a performance, and the two shady guys are sitting in a bar that's in like a terrace up above him, yeah. and they clearly look like they're about to we kill think him. They mean to do him. Yes, harm. because they keep that at one point where they're like, "Do do it now." No, not during mm-hmm. a song or something like that. So it ends before we know exactly what they're doing. But I think they are working with whoever killed the uh, Russian Lily. gal, Lily. Lily and the Russian gal. And the Russian gal. Uh, the Sonia. Russian, yeah, Sonia. Sonia. Sonia and Lily. And um, something to do with that. Maybe something to do with Benny. We don't know uh, for certain. Mm-hmm. And the and fourth plot line. Well, the fourth plot line isn't a plot line. It's a scene where one of the doctors and all his Christian friends show up and begin to sing to everyone in the ward. And the thing about the ward is you've got a ward of terminal-ish patients mm-hmm. who either can't get up, like Marlo, or he who either shouldn't get up because they'll die if they move around too yes. much. So the Christians coming really in... They really a captive audience. Yes. Christians coming in to sing to them are being time. Da, da, da. Actually segues into an interesting thing which we'll talk about too mm. where they, they sing a song um, a Bing Crosby Andrews Sisters song um, uh, which we will sing about in a, We'll sing, we'll, sing about about it. It. we'll sing about it in a moment. Um, I'm trying to keep the uh, the energy up. I've, it's been a bit of a long day so far. Um, uh, and the Sabres still, still not winning. We stink out loud. Uh, we, we stink out loud. Um, so um, so what, let, like, I guess let's do like we did last time. Let's mm-hmm. go through them. Do, is there a plot that you want to talk about first? Or poop, when there's, when there's Nicola, poop in a terrarium, it's hard to look away. Let's talk about poop. Um, Baby. <laughs> Let's talk about poop, baby. Mm, 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 Let's talk about you mm, mm, and me. Well, I very much appreciate that there was a kid who could climb up on a desk, drop one, and run away. (laughs) 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 That that takes some doing. It's it's funny because there was there there was there was a moment here where I was like I was trying to think like when would I have been able to do that? (laughs) Now. I went to St. Margaret Mary's for grades yeah, one through six. you had a few flashbacks six. during this episode. Oh, I did. I did. Uh, we, could, we could talk about that briefly. I don't want to overdo it. Okay. I don't All want right. to overdo I don't it. Wanna, I don't want to um, take you back there. But it was, I have to tell you people, it was palpable sitting next to him. I could feel him tense up. Because. <laughs> I could sense it from the other end of the living room. She, was she, because the teacher says something, which I agreed with her more or less on this, which is basically, which one of you dirty boys did this? Because I can't imagine it was one of the girls. Mm-hmm. And I kind of couldn't imagine it would be one of the girls either. They're all dirty. It's a coal mining town, so they're all a little dirty. But I just saw one of the boys doing it more than a girl. In the name of feminism, and I am most certainly a feminist, Yes. I say we can poop on a desk as readily as you can poop on a desk. <laughs> it's, it's funny because immediately my immediate thought was, oh, some boy did that. Some disgusting boy. Some did disgusting that. boy did that. Um, uh, but but if a girl wants to do it too, God bless. Yes. More power to you. Power to, to the people. The... And, um, um, and, I mean, and... I prefer maybe we'd be on the Supreme Court or something, but... You know, you broke that wall. That wall came down. You pooped on that desk, and it looked a little like a bunny. <laughs> and it was fantastic. How else are you going to claim your office space? Yeah, exactly. I, I and and the only the the reason why it t- t- made me a little tense is that when I went to Christ the King in Rochester, New York, um, right down the street from Bishop Carney, and sure. and and about a good ten minute drive from Lake Ontario, if you had gone north 
from Christ the King up King's Highway, which is a great uh, Tom Petty song, you, for about 10 to 12 minutes, and you would also go through a very precarious... Did I take you through King's Highway? I feel like I did when we were in Rochester. So. It's a very, like, shifty road. Oh, yes. And, like, yes, it's a very... And you come out in this beautiful park. Mm. Durand yes, Eastman did. Park. And then the, all these beautiful houses. Yes, yes. yes. But it, it's very... The road is very much like Twisty it goes turn. here. There's a road to Ithaca... Um, where we went to college, you went yes. to Cornell, I, I went to Ithaca. There, there was the back road out of Ithaca was like a road that had like, you know, is it? I, I forget what movie it is. Is it Pee Wee's Big Adventure? What's the oh, one yes. that <laughs> has the, the crazy road signs? Road signs? Yeah. yeah, that's that happens <laughs> in the back road. If you if you go out the back way from Ithaca College into Ithaca, there literally mm-hmm. the, one of the turns is like a forty five degree. Tur- I mean, literally, you go. You, you you go to the end of the road and you have to like do a full like 40 like it's, it's not like even a curve no, it's Dan. like it stops and no then it Dan goes. I think you're digressing because you don't oh, want to face this yes, painful truth so pay. take that car turn it around and bring and us back, back to Christ the King. King no it was when I was and I won't go overboard in Christ the King they used to blame everything on the boys mm-hmm. even if they had proof that the girls did it even if um, yeah that's uh, right and and they used to do that um and you know like there the the biggest time i got in trouble was when i was coming back from my crossing guard um uh job at the end of every day i would have to go out on the main busy street king's highway and cross kids and there was no real crosswalk or anything it was just like you wandered out and hoped that everyone was as christian as you felt you were mm-hmm. and not going to hit you run over <laughs> children hit children but but i came back in and lisa Temptation and um uh uh sam lombardo the third were playing football at their posts and they weren't supposed to be and lisa i always like lisa i, I like sam too sam eh. but uh lisa threw me the football and and i caught the football and i was like come on guys we're <laughs> we're on we're on guard here and i began to throw the football back to her as you do the moment mrs kehoe the fifth grade teacher walked out stepped directly in front of her and she got hit with the ball in the chest and i and i apologized profusely and tried to explain mm-hmm. what happened i think um, you said something like i'm so sorry i hit you in the tit <laughs> something like that <laughs> uh, and we were called in and our parents were called in and things went south from there sam got in a lot of trouble i got in as much trouble even though i was the one who said don't do this i was the one who wasn't involved i was the one who caught the ball threw it back to them and said stop i got it and lisa got away scot-free because she cried and the teachers, who were all women, were like, why? And they looked at me and Sam like we had picked her up, put her in the back of a car, drove on to the 104, and thrown her off. The 104 was a highway right And outside. listeners, this is why Dan hates women. I love women so much, I don't like those teachers so much. And it was... it was she a, hates us. Uh, no, and, and so that happened. I remember I was grounded, and my parents... I got a couple hits with the blue spoon from my stepdad... Yes. And um, I was grounded and beaten, and it was not fun. And um, and this kind of reminded me of that because there was my favorite time being the. Um, That's horrible. My favorite time being, we there is a problem. What's the problem? Someone has I forget exactly something happened in the girls' room that was like a big problem, mm-hmm. an issue, and all the boys were called into the principal's office, and all five of us who at one time or another had caused some trouble we're like the girls room we don't go in the girls room and we were actually i don't i don't remember how that ended but it didn't end well for us Mm -hmm. even though we pointed out that we don't 
we're eight, eight, eighth grade boys. We don't go in the girls' room. But that that was why I felt a bit of clenching yes. during this, just just because of that. That reminded me of that. But however, I think I agree with the teacher in this. I don't feel like it was one of the girls who you did think it. One of the boys dropped it. Yes. And and the thing about the way it works is she she gets very. She says a prayer. And she, she tries to shame it out of them. She's yes. good. She's really good. And what happens? Somebody starts crying. Yes. Our our Philip starts crying mm-hmm. and gets taken up to the front of the room to stare at the poop until he is ready to name. <laughs> They've got some weird ideas about punishment. They do have some weird ideas. Do you hear that? I hear that. Someone's drilling or something. Huh. That's it's got nothing to do with the Sabres who are losing three to one. Well, they scored. They did score. They, they got the one. Yeah. So I'm sorry, you were talking about poop. Aren't I always? She does a bit. No, listen. <laughs> it's one of the great. Well, anyway, I won't go into that. Um, yes, so sweet little Philip is left staring at a piece of poop and crying That's for many a... complicated reasons, not just the poop. Uh, there are other things happening in his life. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me more about your feelings about uh, the poop. I, I, I like the teacher is doing teaching them the most idiotic thing you've ever seen. About the, leaf. Leaf the leaf has breath and veins. Like you. And, it's, and like you. And like it, this is blue and white. Nigel, what? are you paying? What colors did I say? Um, white and black. <gasps> and then she, she beats him a couple times. And I said blue and white. And it's just like she's teaching the most idiotic things yeah. to try to... Um, uh, I feel like there was no principal hanging around that day. Maybe all the principals were called to fight in the war. Possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a. It is quite a... It's a harrowing... It seems a bit of an inane lesson. Um, and, uh, yeah, it makes me think about my mom went to Catholic school. Mm. She had a nun. Uh, I want to say it's Sister Lucine, but that was your sister. That was my sister, uh, fourth and fifth grade. I think she, my she mom's was... sisters were all like Sister Bob, and you know they all had men's names. Yes. But one... We had a Sister Joseph Mary or something like yeah. that. And I was going to say, Joe! And, mm-hmm. No, I couldn't. Although this isn't, a, like, this isn't a Christian school, let's say. It's just a school, It's right? just a school, school but yeah. I guess During the all, war, so yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, they're all, let's say, Christian, so she praise and does all that stuff but i remember my mom said she had a, a nun a teacher who wore glasses and she would oh she would take off her glasses and lick them to clean them oh, oh my gosh i can't get that image out of my mind it's oh. so sorry and now you can't either oh. people so uh education has changed in many ways <laughs> and it's very for important the better. Yeah. go to school kids go, go to school <laughs> and uh, don't poop on things yeah uh so yes, they're, they're, the the poop is a is is center That's stage. kind of the main main plot line mm-hmm. in this episode. I mean, you you almost the the the, the Nicola and and um and Bit Penny mm-hmm. script thing is, but that's almost like um. Yeah, I mean, you put a piece of poop center stage, and mm. I think that's what people are going to leave talking about. Yes, don't work with children, animals, or a piece of poop. Of poop, it gets uh, all over the place. Yeah, and it's like tough Mr. Hanky. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, but you do get a good, you do get a good chunk of present day Marlowe with Nicola. Mm. He's got a mm-hmm. meaty scene with her, uh, and you're trying to sort out what their relationship is, what it was, what she wants from him, if she's genuinely trying to help him. Um, what did you think about the scenes between Nicola and Penny? Penny. Penny. It's it's interesting because they start off 
uh, the moment you see him, you're like, what's he doing there? And yeah. then when you find out who he is and you find out that basically he's written a script based off of Singing Detective, um, based off of Marlowe's script, which Marlowe hardly remembers, but they need Marlowe to sign off on the yes. rights. And they're going to give Marlowe a pittance compared to what they're going to get. And and the thing about the scene is that it is is that your first thought is... Um, so well, my first thought was... Is Penny is is Marlo making? Does Marlo know Penny, and is make he makes Benny look like Penny, mm. and that guy who slept with his slept with his mom look like him, or does he know, or does he remember the guy, or does or does Penny and Benny look like the guy who slept with his mom, right. and he makes him look like every bastard yes. that he comes up against. Who wants to rob him of his script and the money he's going to make? Mm-hmm. The person who brings the singing detective into this case—that well, we don't know fully what's going on mm-hmm. with that. Who's kind of a jerk too? So, so you wonder at what point with that you you wonder if they, the fact that they're who's all the, the original, same guy. Yes, who's the original? Yes, who's the original? Who's the original? Yeah. And and which one is 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 Marlo And we may up? have some. We may have a bit of a clue. Of, yes, to at that. the end of the scene. Uh, yes, I loved how Marlo is in that scene, even though he's not in that scene between Nicola and Penny. Uh, you know, you see the writer in there when she'll say things like pause, dash. Yes, you know, yes. Like you, you get the idea of him working through this part of the story or trying to figure out what's what's happening mm. here. Uh, I, I really, Cause that, I really that, liked that. That sort of meta stuff um, isn't when they first meet, when she comes out of his ward mm-hmm. and she meets him, that isn't there. That isn't until later on when they're ta- the more they talk, the more it becomes Marlowe. And I almost wonder if, like, Marlo maybe saw him or, or like, knew that or maybe he was... Or if it's happening at all. Or if it's happening at all. Or if or Nicola if really d- does want to help him and, and or, he's he's fashioning this... Yeah, uh, or, or if the the beginning of it, when it's mm-hmm. like, so did you talk to him? Did you get the right... Maybe that happened and Marlo is just making it more insidious yes. in his mind because as he, he goes along. Trust. Because he can't... He doesn't trust he doesn't her. Trust he doesn't her. know what's going on. And, and like we said, every... Every sort of uh, bastard who shows up, whether it's in fiction or in real life, looks like this guy yeah. because that's the guy. And and when he saw that guy fiddling with his mom, he didn't know what he was looking at. Yeah. But now as a grown up, when he knows what it is yeah. that, and he can't go back and and say stop doing that. Mm-hmm. It it sits in his it sits in his mind, and that's yeah. the face of evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of to him, you know, uh, throughout his 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 time. Yeah. That's the thing he can't move past. Mm-hmm. Um, so he keeps replaying it in different scenarios, and hopefully we'll figure a way to, to work through work it. Work through that, yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you definitely get the sense we've got an unreliable narrator here. Yes, right? yes, <laughs> yes, you don't. Because, I, I mean, in my mind, I think... I think he probably wrote a script for it. That sounds like something yes. you'd do. And it's in a shoebox. And it's in a shoebox. And that sounds that sounds like the kind of writer he is. You know mm-hmm. that he reminds me a bit of uh, my, my my high school friend Jason Sheehan, who mm-hmm. always used to who's who who I think is doing fine now as a writer. But like in high school and college when he would write, he'd always like you find these smoke cigarette stained coffee yeah. stained pieces of paper and things. He was the, he was the one who taught me um, never know the ending of the story. Because why would you write it if you know the ending? <laughs> so get to the ending and learn the ending as you're mm-hmm. writing it. And that's why I've written, I've had some really weird endings of some <laughs> of the stories I've written. Because you get to that and be like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> and, and he would like, he had, he had several novels where he was like 
two thirds of the way through, and he's like, "I'm not going to finish it." I said, "Why? This is really good." And I know how it ends. Who cares? <laughs> it can never convince him. Mm. Um, but that sort of that feels Marlowe like yeah. to me. That if he even writes it down, you know, he's writing yes, now in his he's mind. He's got in his head. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, so so yeah. So that was that plot line, which I I think I think that I think most of the talk between the two of them in the ward is happening, but I don't know. Mm-hmm when she leaves I think it gradually descends but we it, it definitely it feels like the scene between Nicola and Penny to me feels like something that Marlowe is has written yes mm-hmm. uh, I really or I'm really unsure about how yes how true it is or yes he's yes he's if he's writing if he's writing a miniseries in his head called The Singing Detective about the guy who wrote The Singing Detective, mm-hmm. this would be one of the scenes he would write, yeah. I guess. And as he says, uh, you know, there's real life is all clues and very few answers. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> that, that, that would be the real murder mystery. All clues and no solutions. All clues, no solutions. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, I love uh, that. It's yeah. Very true. Um, so 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 there's those. Oh, and and very briefly, yeah, we see the two sinister guys. We do, and it looks like they're going to kill uh, Marlowe as he's doing his thing. We'll find that out in the next episode, mm-hmm. Peter Patter. Um, but uh, but that but that's pretty straight. That's more or less all we get in the detective portion of it. He sings some songs, and the guys are kind of getting in place to to take him out. Mm-hmm. They see. It's funny. They seem a bit dippy. I mean, I mean, the one guy is that one guy who came up to little Philip and said, "Your dad should be in lights." Yeah. And and but then also pointed out that uh, that guy's fooling around with your mom, mm. um, and uh, so he doesn't get pride of place in the evil people. He may be inept. We're, we're yeah. going to find out soon. Um, oh, is there anything else you got about those guys? That's pretty straightforward. No, they're great physical comedy. One's big, mm. one's small. Yeah. It's a. Uh... It works. Mm-hmm. That's why we keep doing it. So so let's do that, and let's wrap it up. Let's do the, the fourth segment of it is the scene with the Christians coming to visit everyone. Like we said, you've got a captive audience when people either are physically unable to move or will die yes. if they try to get away from you. And Marlo's new uh, uh, neighbor in the ward has probably Parkinson's, the, yes. something that causes He's, severe tremor and he can't put he can't really speak it's very labored for yes. him to try to speak he's in the first episode but he crawls up on oh, Marlo. yes, that's yes. Right. That's he, right. lo- he looks a bit like he's half william hartnell the first doctor that's and right. has half buster keaton yeah and, and now that's he's he in the bed next to, to him he's yes yes he's been yeah. moved there since yeah, so, uh, george died and he, he, he yeah he's, he's got this terrible tremor and he put when they start singing this oh, hymn so he is trying so hard to say you just hear him go it's 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 a beautiful it's a beautiful moment because when you see him when you see him in in the, in the first episode and and he crawls on Marlowe and you see him again briefly in the second one and they kind of the nurses chastise him for making a mess when yes. yeah and and but when you see him uh, when you when you see that moment when the Christians come in and start singing and they're trying to and the here's here's your hymnal please read this and he's like fa fa oh, yeah. fa and you know what he wants to yeah, say and he, you're like. He does not wish well, to sing Well along. done, sir. We know we know you're having a hell of a time every yeah. single moment, and we know you're probably losing it. Uh, and but how could you not in this place? Yes. I guess. But but just the the anger he gets because Marlowe is able to 
articulate. Uh, articulate. Get the get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know you can't you can't be doing this. This isn't right. And and just just when he looks at Marlo and he's got this big smile on yeah. his face, it's like there's a moment of connection which I didn't expect. I thought he'd just be like a side character, mm-hmm. off to one side, shaking all the time. But the yeah. fact that there's a brief moment where him and Marlo like, yeah, we we link up, and the fact I I'm gonna say it's probably Church of England. Well, Anglican. Well, I, right. I would say is is the um, is what they are, and just the fact that they're able to link up in their yeah <laughs> their dislike of these and the, cheese balls. I don't think we know his name. The 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 guy no. with the tremor. No. Um, but he kind of mirrors, you know, uh, uh, Marlowe's inability to articulate things when he's in the real fever yes. and when he's yes. you know this. There's this recurrent theme of. Uh, people having so much inside that it literally causes them to shake, shake. sometimes and, and they can't that they can't, they can't make it that they exercise. burn and they shake and yeah. they can't and they and you wonder too like if what would be his story the shaking right. detective or something i don't know you yeah. know like what would what, would his what story is he writing you, you know because we don't see like some of the people we see folks come in and visit them but i don't think we ever see anyone come and visit him you know and no. it's uh, and i don't know how much more we're going to get of him i feel like mm-hmm. this is kind of his big moment right right here but it's a lovely moment and he almost says he almost says it he gets right yes. like when they're singing he says like a fuck mm-hmm. and it kind of fades a yes. bit but it's just like you know you know what he wants to say mm-hmm. and, and I get the the last thing we'll talk about and then we will wrap it up is um uh the song so they're sing they're singing um uh, I forget. I said it earlier. Accentuate the positive. Oh yes, they, they break. Yes, that, that's what. That's what. So as Marlowe is listening to them sing, um, "Be in Time," it suddenly becomes uh, accentuate the positive, positive. eliminate the negative, head on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mister In Between. That is from "Here Comes the Waves," a film uh, from obviously as you would guess World War Two. Um, it's Bing Crosby, the Andrews Sisters, and Sonny Tufts. And <laughs> uh, Sonny Tufts apparently sings the song in, in the movie with the Andrews Sisters, but this is clearly Bing Crosby singing it, I think. And you can tell it's from a musical because there's this bit in the middle where they kind of, da, 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 accent, where they kind of like, <laughs> well, you, you can tell like, yeah, you, you wouldn't do that in, a, in a, like a regular single. Um, but, uh, and, and this will be, I guess, my last, my last uh, point of, of this one is like, it's interesting that as the, the sort of the Christians are seeing this to him and he's like saying, get out of here. In his mind, he's hearing a song that says, from World War II, that says, basically the song is saying, we're good, we're the good, here's the bad, there's nothing in between. <laughs> be with us, don't be with them. And, I mean, it was Nazis and the Japanese during World War II. They were pretty hideous. <laughs> I don't think I have to say that to anyone here. So so during World War II, I mean, I'm sure there was a Fibber McGee and Molly where the guys who sang in every episode sang this song. This just seems like a very... World War Two kind of song, mm-hmm. you know. Keep keep your pecker up, you know. Keep singing. Yeah. We'll make it through. And I, I, it's interesting to me that this is a song that comes to Marlowe at a point when he's getting better, but the um, and these Christians are singing to him, mm-hmm. and it goes from being this be in time, and they're yeah. almost like yelling at the end of it to this this song that's very much a black and white sort of, um, you know, we're good. They're bad. Yeah. There's nothing in between. Stay the course. Yes. Keep focused. Uh, yeah. And it's it's a it's an interesting choice of song. I, 
It I is. Think. It's also a very snappy tune. It's a super snap. I mean, at that time, you had so many snappy tunes. Yeah. There were so many great songs. I mean, like "Be in Time." Be in time, <laughs> which is mainly tambourine. <laughs> and there's one lady in particular who is very She's raucous. She's very animated. She and you, you, you tell you could tell when you look at her. Oh yeah, I know. I know. She was like, she was one of those ladies when I went to Catholic school. She was like a hall monitor, and she's the runner up to. What are you doing? And I said, I'm going to the bathroom. She really, and she, she really found her place. There. Yes, yes. And um, but but it's interesting, yeah, that one of the teacher, one of the doctors, mm-hmm. is is sort of the lead of this. So, do we want to talk about the very ending? What happens? Oh yes, let's talk about the little moment at the end, and then we will wrap this up. We go up. back to the school yes, to we, the uh, turd. Mm-hmm. And the teacher, does she convince him to uh, well, rat out who has done it? Yes, it's either that or her leaf um, a lecture Bored is so him. boring that he's like, I oh. would rather be beaten. <laughs> than have to yes, yes, yes. learn about how a leaf is like me. Yes. And so Marlo, you want to tell him what Marlo, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Philip. Philip. Says. You tell us. Oh, okay. So Philip says, yes, I'll say who did it because it's not, the, the implication isn't that he did it, is that he's covering for the, hey, Buffalo scored. Yay. Uh Three to two. Um, and, and so. That's so, not what Philip says, by the and way. So Philip, um, and, Phil, and the closing moment is Philip points at a boy that we've seen a few times in the episodes, kind of a chunky, slow looking boy with a dirty face. Mm-hmm. And he says it was him. It was Mark. It was Mark Binney. <gasps> and that's the way the episode ends. And it's one of those great, the F? Yeah. Kind of things. It's like, and it was slightly given away two episodes before. In the credits. In the credits because you... Young Mark Binney. Mark Binney, like age 10 age or 10. something yeah. like that. And and you saw that and you're like, what is that? And I refuse to tell you, you what that meant. Um, um, so is this the original Mark Binney? That this could be this could be Mark Binney. Could Ma- be. It, it could. I mean, maybe. Could be his memory making may- him Mark Binney. Maybe he saw Mark pooping on the desk, mm-hmm. and maybe Mark shoved him around or something. And maybe and, he's and Mark Binney. Maybe, maybe he he's, pooped on the desk. Yes, yeah. there there is a moment earlier in the episode that. Ick ein Mark Binney. <laughs> Aren't we all? Uh, there there is a moment earlier in the episode which I'm not going to mention now, which I noticed, where I think kind of gives away what's happened but I'll, I'll mention it in the next episode if we learn more because that's the great thing about this is he points at the kid and you're like oh he's, he's blaming that kid but mm-hmm. then when he says his name and it goes to the credits you're like what the wah, hell wah. this is one of those great cliffhanger moments yeah and it's not like not like the previous ones when you get to the cliffhanger like the last one was philip philip and mm-hmm. philip running away from his mom in the yeah. london underground i mean there is a and we won't talk about it here, but there is a brief there is a brief scene with them still in London, mm-hmm. where Philip, the more his mom's family kind of picks on him for his accent, the deeper his accent gets. Oh my gets. goodness, we had to put on the subtitles. We had to put on subtitles, yeah. And, and it's one of those things, like you know, you get that when you're a kid, and sometimes you're an adult too. You're just trying to do your thing, and someone starts making fun of you, and you start to defend yourself. And sometimes it works, and sometimes the hole gets deeper and deeper, and that's where Philip is going yeah. in this scene, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so it ends with um, apparently Mark Binney pooped on the desk. Pooped on the desk. That's a Binney original. <laughs> it's, I'm surprised you didn't sign it. I call it the Binney leavings. The, the Binney leavings. But that's um, so that's the way the episode ends, and it doesn't end with um confusion or no. or it or or sadness it just ends with really mm-hmm. and now you begin to rethink 
okay, what's going on? Right. But we'll we'll rethink it more with the mm-hmm. next episode, which I believe is called Pitter Patter. Pitter Patter. And we will see where we go from here. I think um, the singing detective might be in some trouble. He I think might those be. two guys are going to go after him. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And I think Mark Benny is. Do you gonna think get... they're going to poop on him? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was it. Maybe it all. Maybe it all ties together with a big Whoa. poop. A big poop party at the end of episode six. Oh, oh I, this isn't German. This is so I don't think that's gonna happen. But uh, still, ugh. so um, so that was uh, episode four. Thank you for uh, thank joining you. me, um, um, Ms. Marlowe. Oh, well, thank you, sir. <laughs> and we will, um, yeah, we're we're wrapping up the episode now. We play a little bit of music, and mm-hmm. we will wrap this up. We'll be back next time with the penultimate episode of the Singing Detective. Pitter patter, poop. <laughs> And that's episode 105, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. What are we at online? AdventureSupertrain.blogspot.com Addy Supertrain1 on Twitter. Adventure Supertrain on Facebook. Look around, you'll find us. Danny Slacks, D-A-N-N-Y Slacks, S-L-A-C-K-S at Yahoo.com if you want to email me. And uh, we'll be back next time with more of more of all these shows, more of all these fun shows. I hope you're enjoying it, everyone. And as with the beginning, I'm not going to end with music because I want you to comfortably return to your lives knowing that I am your host, Dan, and I welcome you back to where you were before this episode began. Welcome. <laughs>